0: Please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. This episode of the Australian Investors Podcast features Al Bentley, founder of Simply Wall Street. Simply Wall Street is one of Australia's outstanding financial technology businesses. No doubt you will have seen their investment articles or even experienced the platform. Al and I recorded this conversation with the intention of airing this episode as part of a new business course and accompanying podcast series we're launching an RASC education website with the aim of helping people to start successful businesses. Al shares his journey and what led him to create an investing platform with over 2.5 million users. Having played along, I'm often taken back by how quick his company has grown its user base. While the lessons from this talk were primarily aimed at business owners and founders, it's a fascinating conversation of what it takes to start something with scale in mind. After talking through it, we decided to air this episode with you, our investor listeners, so you can get a sense of what it takes to start and operate one of these rapidly growing technology businesses. If you're interested in joining Simply Wall Street, be sure to check the description of this Australian Investors Podcast episode, where you'll find a unique link to join the data-rich platform that Al and his team have created. As always, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Al Bentley, founder of Simply Wall Street. Al, thanks for taking some time out to join me for this, I guess, very special interview with you, mate. Happy to be here. Uh, we're going to talk about business. We're going to talk about probably investing is going to be brought up, so that's going to be a bit of fun. Um, and I'm sure you have some really important lessons to be learned for from your own experience, which you can depart with for our, um, our listener base and our viewers. Um, I realized that coming into this and when we set up this meeting about a month ago that as far as I could tell, no one's really covered this ground with you. And I feel like what you've created is so special that I'm just pretty, I'm pretty stoked to be having this chat, mate.
1: Yeah, so much. It's a lot of fun. Yeah.
0: Cool. Um, so I I guess because this is a, a business focused discussion, um, I pretty much just want to pick your brain about the journey that you went on to start the business. And I guess some of the advice that you would have for other people out there who are looking to start a business, whether that's a, a startup, like a technology startup, or whether it's a business, it could be whatever. Um, but maybe just to set the scene, um, I know that you were a naval architect um, mm-hmm. before you, you started your thing, but I think your journey to, um, towards technology and having your own business started long before then. So maybe you can just tell us a bit about yourself, growing up, some of the things you did, um, in your early teens and late teens that kind of led you on this journey?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll try and keep it uh, short because I can talk for, forever <laughs> on that. I actually recently did, we do these things at Simply Wall Street called AMAs where people like have a session on their life story. So I kind of went over this quite recently with the whole team and it's it cool. was, it was pretty fun. So um, yeah, so I'll keep it short. Um, I guess the most important thing is when I was growing up, my, My parents, especially my mom, were quite anti-technology, screens, computers, things like that. So, for example, we had a computer at home, but we were only allowed to use it for sort of one hour a day. Um, And um, so it was a bit restricted, and I think I was really interested in it, but I didn't really feel like I got to really uh, get into it. Um, And um, when I was growing up, another thing that's kind of interesting to know is that I'm quite dyslexic. So I struggled quite a lot at school, um, and uh, I think that um, certainly I, I remember when I was younger, you know, coming up to age ten, my my image of myself was I was not a smart kid, right? I think this is actually more common than people appreciate that if you're in school and you're constantly getting answers wrong, getting low test scores, you you form a self image that you're not really that smart, and I think that's quite dangerous because, because then you just stop trying. Right. Mm. Um, and you, or even go as far as saying, Oh, well, I, you know, I better not, um, you know, I better not speak up. What if I'm wrong and it's embarrassing. So it's, it's a quite, uh, I, I was like a very shy, uh, kid and I didn't really have, like, I believe myself to not be very intelligent. Um, The school I was at, we we lived abroad when we were younger. We weren't in England, but the school I was at was an international school. It wasn't a great school for people with learning difficulties. And so my parents made a really hard decision to send me to a boarding school in the UK. And uh, the important thing about this boarding school was uh, that they had a computer room and that Mm -hmm. the parents were not around. And they had uh, all these computers, very old ones. Um, The computers had no games on them, but there were lots of books about how to program and I kind of found like a sanctuary in this computer room, I guess, because it was like a safe space. And I just, with other people, of course, just learned to program and we just made games. Um, And it was cool because if you made a great game, we weren't the only ones who wanted to play games. All the other kids at the school also wanted to play games. And so um, it was kind of like a little sort of proof that you built something great, that people could come and play your your game. Um, And I guess, you know, again, really cutting stuff short, as I got more into computers and making games, anyone who's made a game knows, knows it's mostly about math. Mm. Um, and so it started to make me appreciate math. And I started to realize that, hey, I actually can do this. I can do math like it work. Like, it kind of gave me an interest in it. And from the age of like 11 to probably 14, 15, I went from being in the lowest, what will be called class at math to the highest class. Um, because I suddenly had an interest in it. And, actually, you know, and I was like, oh, wow, I really need to learn trigonometry because I want to make a ball bounce around the screen, things like that. Um, and so then I, I, I was really just, my entire childhood was, I was just a real computer geek, I guess. Like, I just obsessed with computers. That's all I wanted to do. I just was obsessed with, with building things, programming. And um, when the internet came along, I was rough, I think I was 14. Mm. And that was when I released my first, as you might call it, like app although we didn't call them apps in those days. And it was this Windows shell replacement, which I won't go into what that was, but that at the time was actually crazy popular. It had like 100,000 downloads. And so even at that age, I was, I was like kind of obsessed with building things and getting them out there and I guess, you know, change, changing things. Um,
0: mm-hmm. And
1: so it was only when I kind of got to like age 18 that I sort of um, started maybe I, I'm going to, say, discovered the rest of the world. (laughs) And, uh, and that was what led me to naval architecture, because actually, the logical thing, if you're a computer geek would be to go study computer science, right? Mm. Um, But I I didn't really want to, I I kind of, I think, deep down, I felt that I was already kind of a geek. And if I went to study computer science, I'd continue to be a geek. So therefore I wanted to study something different. I think that was probably really what was going on. I also loved building furniture and design. So there wasn't totally random. Mm. Um, I went to study architecture, didn't particularly like architecture because there was not much academic side to it. Then I went to study something called Naval architecture which is designing boats. And the good thing about the course is it's entirely math. So it really pushes your your, your math ability. Um, Again, very long story short, after I graduated I went to came to Australia because I'm really uh, big into surfing and windsurfing. So I wanted mm. somewhere that was warm and windy.
0: You're a bit of a champion, I hear, mate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did I, I got very into windsurfing. There's a theme here of obsession, I guess. And um mm. and so came to Australia, started working at the time in Perth, there was this huge island gas boom. So you literally could just sort of walk around and you'd get a job. Um so started working in island gas there and um that was also when I really started to invest. So I was always interested in, in the stock market. It, it always fascinated me. And as I started to teach myself to invest, I started to um, just be kind of, I guess, you could say disappointed with how how the websites worked, how the services worked, and why the whole experience was just so difficult, yet you had this great technology that, that could make it easier. Um, and, uh, and it, and also one thing I would point was I, I was starting businesses very young as well. I, mm. My first business was, was when I was 16, mm. um, designing websites for parents at school, which was a pretty easy way to make money. And so I, I started work in Perth, started investing, and I was very actively thinking I want to start a business. So I think we'll probably get this later in the podcast, but I was like, okay, I want to start a business. Uh, I was playing with a lot of ideas. And one of these ideas that I was experimenting with a lot was this idea of, Uh, something to help people that you know uh who want to invest in stocks and solving problems there and the more i investigated it the more it just started to really shine as uh something with big potential Mm. and there came a point where i said i think i'm ready to do this and i was just waiting for a kind of a catalyst and for me the catalyst was a an accelerator program which is really a kind of startup thing but um there was an accelerator program that started in sydney and um And I guess I got in fairly easily because by then I already built an app. (laughs) So I was quite far ahead of everyone else. And so that was how I ended up in Sydney. And that's where the Simply Wall Street journey started.
0: Mm. You're right in saying that you've cut a lot short there. I feel like there's (laughs) so much in there, mate. Um, One of the things that's really common, though, is this thread of entrepreneurship that goes through people's lives. I find that, I mean, you might have experience with this, but... I find that oftentimes the most successful business people start isn't the first one. And so I find that it, there's a certain, I guess something in someone's personality that lends themselves to doing this. Did you come out to Australia by yourself when you first came out?
1: Uh, I came out with a partner, but I, but, but I did come out, for example, without a job. And at the end, at the time, everyone was like, Oh, that's so risky. <laughs> you know, you mm. can't come out without a job, like, hey, sure yeah. you can, you know, um, so I did have a partner at the, at the time who we came out with, um, but it didn't feel, didn't feel very risky. If that makes yeah.
0: sense. So that's funny, right? Cause a lot of people would think that that's something that's extremely risky to go across the other side of the world and just go without a job. You enjoy surfing. Yeah, great. But where does the money come in? But I guess you knew that you had this technical ability. Um, how about like starting those businesses earlier on, um, do you think
1: that you would be where you are today without starting those businesses? Well, I, I actually think it's, to, to your point, it's even deeper, I think, than just starting businesses. And I think a lot of people, when they start a business, what they what you really have to be doing is asking yourself, what do I, what do I want out of this business? Like, what am I actually doing? Because I actually think that most entrepreneurs don't think about it as a business per se. I think they just think about it as, something that they're deeply interested in and something they want to change so I actually kind of think that the 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 foundations of entrepreneurship are basically doing things I know it sounds really silly Mm -hmm. just getting up and doing stuff like doing um doing interesting things that you don't have to do like you know these things are entirely optional you know you can get away without doing them it's only the people that do them that make it that 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 change things, so there's like this whole thing of what I just call being proactive, but yeah, just just doing these things, and then there's this concept of um uh, you know think no a belief that things can be different. I think that's also important, so mm-hmm. I think it starts there I, I haven't figured it out, but i there's probably something in you know early childhood that sort of builds that um I don't know i <laughs> I can try and think of things that I did, but there's lots of other entrepreneurs who have different backgrounds. Um, And then I think, you know, as people grow up, they start to say, Oh, Hey, this is actually a career path of sorts that I can actually do this as well. Like I don't have to um, take a job. And and to your point, the really big difference in my opinion between entrepreneurs naturally is that to an entrepreneur, the riskier option is the, is the, is the predefined career. The riskier option is not going to Australia because that scares them. You know, that's, Mm. that's them saying, Oh God, like, but I'll never get my chance to do this. So, so that, and, but to some, so that's, that exactly sort of is like differentiates those two people. Right. So Mm. for me, if I wasn't going to Australia, I would have been freaking out because i would be like, well, I don't want to, I want to be doing something. Mm. Likewise, I I wanted to start a business. I knew I was going to do it the risky, the risky part to me was not doing it. Does that make sense?
0: Totally. I, I feel like I had a very similar like, feeling at the time when I kind of went on my journey, which was, I had an itch that I had to scratch. And if I didn't do it, then I would probably live with regret. It's Kind of that regret minimization framework, I guess. If I don't do it now, when will I do it? And I really wanted to take that. Um, you mentioned the name of your business, Simply Wall Street. By now, millions of people around the world are familiar with it but at the time right it was an idea and you say that there was this incubator can you tell us a bit about obviously you must have had the technical skills to build a tech platform like this but can you tell us a bit about why the incubator was so important for you to get started
1: well one thing i'll point out is that i was working on it as a As a sort of side hustle for like Mm -hmm. a year and a half before you know what i mean the incubator was what gave me the confidence to quit my job and go full power into it i guess um and that's one thing i would say like you best advice i can give to start your business is do it now and do it on the side you don't need to quit a job to do it of course it's beneficial and you get more time but you can do a huge amount Mm. um on the side you know um especially if you have a very easy job <laughs> 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 um so um so yeah so to your point uh, i was already working on it for a long time actually when i f- you can this is crazy I, I can find all the videos online if you know how to look but um a guy recently was tweeting a, uh, about them a friend of mine in perth but when i first had the idea i kind of knew it was an idea as in i knew it was an experiment so i called it ninja vest like as in i purposely gave it a temporary name because i believe names actually aren't that important in the grand scheme of things. And then when I was experimenting with it, a friend of mine, uh, um, a girl um, called Andrea, she came up with the idea, Hey, why don't you call it simply Wall Street? And I was like, actually, that's a great name. It's so simple. So that's where the name came from. Hmm. Um, And then the incubator, um, it definitely was important. I think it it would have been challenging to start the business without it. They didn't really give you much advice to be frank. But the important thing is they gave you some investment. And for our business, when you really want to make a platform, you need financial data. And there's only two ways you can get it. You can either buy it or you can scrape it. And the problem with scraping the data is it might get you some way, but it's very unlikely that it's going to be reliable. And it's very unlikely that people are going to pay for it, mm. um, you know, as a, as a platform, which is obviously the goal. Um, and the data fees, a, a pretty, pretty pricey. So effectively, the the, the, the 100,000 that um, that came from the incubator effectively went straight onto the, to the data fees to get us started. Now, luckily, um, we worked with Standard & Pause and they gave us uh, a, a very kind of friendly startup deal that kind of grew with us. So that was really the catalyst because it let us sort of start to take things pretty seriously. Um, mm. And, um, and it was good. They, was, they did help with other things like setting up, to your point, setting up the business and all this stuff. But um, yeah, they, uh, it, was, it was a fairly <laughs> hands-off uh, incubator, <laughs> to, be, okay. to, be, to be frank, yeah.
0: I might get you to just drill in on that point, but also explain it to us. Um, for people that don't have either a f- investing or a tech background, to explain what Simply Wall Street is, like the vision that you had for it, but then why that data was important and how you built it kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Um, well, the, the the vision for the business is is all about helping individual investors invest in stocks, which is e- exactly a problem that I faced and I or I guess I still face it to be. Uh, and um, so that that's a whole interesting problem in itself. Uh, and I, what I realized was that there really wasn't something that helped actually helped people and. and there's lots of services that appear to help people invest, but they're not really helping them. Um, And I actually believe that um, individuals can invest effectively in stocks and it is a learning process. And so that's what we want to help people with. And so Simply Wall Street takes financial data. So that's where that's important. And the financial data on its own, isn't particularly useful to an individual investor. It's very complicated. You don't really know what to look at. There's heaps of websites which will dump data on you, but it will make, probably make your investing experience worse. What we do is we analyze that data in a way that is suitable for a for long-term uh, type approach to investing, which is what we believe works mm-hmm. for individuals. And then we also present it in a way that's easy to understand. And that's the other problem is not only do individuals not have access to information, their knowledge levels are generally a bit lower. And so what we try to do is, is present the important parts in a way that's easy to understand and really focused in on the company. And we really believe that when you're thinking about investing, you should be thinking that I'm just buying a share in this business. I'm becoming a shareholder in the business. That's that's that. If you have that mindset, you massively simplify investing. You're Mm -hmm. not trying to time the market, you're not trying to do all this crazy stuff. Um, and so that's, that's what we're trying to do. Now, if we didn't have the good quality financial data, we you, you, that's the basis. Like, that's where everything starts. So yeah, that's it was pretty critical.
0: Mm. So that kind of um, information discovery process for people is quite difficult, but let's just imagine it's not investing, which is kind of our forte or um, tech, which is your forte. Imagine it's any business is, I guess, just finding out what you need to do in the first place. But I guess your... I guess lead time that 18 months gave you a chance to really sit down and plan and think, did you have this kind of great big document where you had a business plan and how you would monetize and when, or did you, were you kind of more, I guess, agile to use a phrase and just kind of respond to things as they go?
1: Uh, I I, I did have documents. Yeah, I did. I definitely had plans. It's, it just, it was, um, (laughs) looking back, you're you're still extremely naive in in all respects, you know, so things that are theoretically easy to build. So yeah, to your point, I'd done quite a lot of work, what I believe to be a lot of work on like, what, what the product should look like. Um, I think relatively speaking, I had done a lot of work, but in hindsight, I actually wished I'd done a lot more work. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, I was obsessed with this book called The Lean Startup. But that that book's good as a starter, but it doesn't go anywhere near deep enough, you know. And so, um, so so I had that part sort of vaguely in my mind. Um, there's one thing to be said that for most, I guess most businesses, you the founders generally solving their own problem, okay. And so, as long as they solve their own problem somewhat well, and there's enough people that share that problem, that's the the sort of genesis of any of any business. Um, most businesses often fall down because either they didn't solve the problem in the first place, or no one else shared the founder's problem. Um, so that's a way of sort of initially shortcutting, I guess, a lot of this stuff. Because if you built something that is useful for you, then as long as people share it, it's it's useful for them. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I I had plans, but I but they were you know that's the best thing when you're only like three people, you can be super agile and you can, but we, we broadly followed the plan for the first six months. Mm-hmm. I have to admit, I had, I think I had sort of an internal gateway after that six months, which was once we launched this, it lets actually see if anyone uses it. And luckily they did. So that was sort of my first gateway of like, Hey, I, this is actually this, you know, there's really something here, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. How, so that, so when you built this app and that six month, I guess, gateway, did you have, uh, like a viable product, like minimum viable product by then? Or was it, it was, it was as far as I know, it's kind of just a free platform for people to use at the time?
1: Yeah, it was totally free. It was extremely minimal. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I mean, we cut every corner you could possibly cut. Um, yeah, it was extremely basic. Uh, hmm. And that's actually one of the, the interesting things that you have with, uh, with, with technology businesses, at least. Like, you want to start with a minimum viable product, but then the problem is if it's successful you're like whoa ho, holy shit like uh sorry i don't know to swear on there but um they're like whoa ho, we, you know this can't, this thing cannot be scaled and what we actually did is we did try to scale it right and so we actually sort of scaled up the mvp for the next two, pretty much two years until it's sort of like a not saying a house of cards but you just couldn't scale it anymore like we wouldn't even we you know, we wouldn't have even been able to hire anyone who wanted to work on it, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. that's probably a nuance of a technology business, I would say, but starting with the minimal product is definitely the route to go. Anything more in, and you might get lucky, um, but more, most likely you'll learn more by releasing earlier, releasing something that's unfinished and unready, uh, but you'll learn if you're on the right path. So mm-hmm. I, I think that would also apply to any business. I can't think of a business where that wouldn't apply.
0: Mm. it's it, it I, I i tend to agree with you sometimes you know, i think this i think it's bezos has said this like sometimes you can have these really complex problems but you just need to start you know you can plan and plan and plan but sometimes you just need to start and one of the things that's on your linkedin channel our linkedin profile and i i said i was going to quote this verbatim but one of the things that you said is success is about it's 100 percent about execution not ideas but done is better than perfect and i feel like well, that's something for me. Done is definitely better than perfect, <laughs> but but I, I I tend to agree with you on that one. Like sometimes you just need to get started to see if people like it. Um, and your idea earlier on about not testing the water with both feet, kind of testing it with one foot at a time—that's a Warren Buffett quote—is um, just to give it a shot as a kind of like a side hustle, if you like, or, or start it from there. Um, so I feel like one of the things that I should ask you is if you look back on it now um, to those early days until now, were there any really important decisions that you made either good or bad and kind of things that you would have done differently? Um, not just for your business, I guess, but just generally speaking, even if you had some tidbits there.
1: Um, what would I've done differently? That's a really good question. Um, I don't often I mean, have it's,
0: self-reflection like this, so I'm just putting you on the spot.
1: Here. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, right? Because I, I mean, we, I, we made a lot of mistakes, but at the same time, you need to make those mistakes. That's how you learn. So I wouldn't say, "Oh, I don't want to make them." If that makes sense, you know. Mm. Um, I, I think I could have been even more customer obsessed. It sounds silly, but I really think that that could have could have been done even earlier, and we would have sort of. Um, I guess, had a, had a better product faster, frankly.
0: How um, weren't your you customer success? Like what would you have done better? How would you have done that?
1: Um, so, for example, like really early on, what we used to do, uh, uh, my original co-founder and I, we used to like print out uh, mock-ups of how what we would call the company report or research report would look. And you, we would go to these like investing conferences and test it with people and ask them if it was useful. So it's like the most simple possible form. Now that was, you know, that was one thing we could have done. Uh, sorry, so that would, we did that well, I think. And, and we, learned, we learned what was working and we changed stuff. Um, I think uh, once we launched the MVP, rather than rush off and keep building features, we made a huge, one huge mistake we made was we, we built what people asked for. Uh, and that's a very common uh, mistake. It's very tempting that you get all these emails, people saying, oh, I love, I love what you guys are building. Um, could you build this? And, it's, and you think, oh, this is easy. We'll just build what the most commonly requested feature is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you end up with like a kind of, um, I do to think of a good terminology, but you just end up with a, it's a completely mishmash muddled product that makes no sense. Um, and so especially for consumers, I'm not saying people can't give you great ideas. They can. But the process needs to be understand the problem. So when someone tells you, oh, can you build X? What you need to understand is why do they want X? So that was a big mistake that we just, as soon as we launched, we just sort of rushed off and just built what people were asking for. What we should have done is paused and done more reflection on what the people's problems were and probably built a bit slower and a bit more thoughtfully. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was one, one thing. Uh, But at the same time, you know it's, it's a lesson it's part of it's part of the fun so you know um you have to you have to make some mistakes which i think what else would it uh, would be uh, an interesting one um did yeah did
0: the business go through any uh experiences what i would call nde near-death experience or anything like that did you have any major hiccups along the way
1: uh I was sort of touch wood. Where is it? Uh, I would say actually, no, I would say, I've, I mean, lots of my friends, cause I, this is a great thing. One great thing about these incubators or accelerators is that you're with a lot of other founders. So you do get to share in the, in mm-hmm. the kind of journey. Um, yeah, we didn't have anything that bad. I would say we definitely had times where we were running out of money and, um, you know, and luckily we managed to raise money in time. Otherwise we'd have had to let a few people go. Mm. So for example, like the first um, uh, fellow that we actually hired was our CTO, Jabin and he, you know, he, he, he needed to work. Right. So he needed to, he needed a salary. And so he actually, um, he kind of said to us, Hey guys, like either I, you know, either, either, you, either we work together or I have to find a job. And we were like, well, you know, we we better hire him. So we actually hired him before we had really enough money. Mm-hmm. We had enough money for a few months, I think. But then, luckily, we were able to raise money. So it's all these kind of connected pieces, right? Because um, if you don't hire people, you can't you can't grow. You can't do things. Um, so yeah, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's funny. So no, I, I think touch real, I wouldn't say so near death experience to me is like you know really scary. Kind of um, having to let a lot of people go or imminent imminent crash so no ne- we'd never never had that
0: okay let's hope you don't i'm touching <laughs> i'm touching the, the wood down here for you
1: yeah yeah i'm touching the fake wood yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> so okay then so you mentioned they're like raising capital from investors and um, one of the questions that a lot of people face um, particularly in tech but also just in every business i guess is like how do you fund the dream mm. and I'm like, I think the more, obviously it's a good catch to me too, because the bigger you get, the easier it becomes um, because you have you know, a demonstrable track record or whatever, and a product that works and what have you. In the early days, uh, so I'm guessing you got a big cash from the incubator, but was there any, was it, did you decide to fund um, like your team at the beginning? Did you guys decide to fund it yourself, kind of just bootstrap it? Or did you go externally? Did you find you know, the family, friends, and fools kind of thing, or or faithful? I should say. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, funding's a super interesting question. I mean, I think sort of generally speaking, funding uh, for some reason is 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 thought of as a measure of success. I think that's a mistake. I think mm. I think if possible, and if you can do something without funding, you should. Generally speaking, um, and I think people what they forget is that early on in a, in any business, generally speaking, unless it's maybe a more like a bricks and mortar business, the funding is usually going on, on people and it's going on salaries. And so therefore it's going on time. Okay. And there's a lot of other ways of, of accessing time than funding. Mm. So for example, you know, I would always say uh, initially, unless, unless the, founders maybe it's a second business or maybe there's a special situation but one thing founders can invest in their business is their time okay and so for example we, we went for more than two years maybe two and a half without paying ourselves a salary and even the first salary for the first few years was extremely low like it was you know it was probably less than working in a cafe so um, so that was our investment if that makes sense now I, this is something that I planned out. So I'd purposely been saving beforehand because as I said, I was planning to start a business. So it wasn't a surprise. Mm. Um, so that also helped me cause I was a bit more comfortable. I also, when I was running the business initially in Sydney, I, <laughs> I lived in my van in a car park. So I didn't right. have to pay any rent. <laughs> so I didn't pay any rent. So I had all these things set up so that I didn't, um, you know, so that basically money wasn't a problem, because of course this is a challenging thing. If money becomes a problem, you're not going to be able to do great work. So uh, it's, it's, you really need to get yourself set up so that you can basically focus and do good work on, on your business, whatever that takes, whether it's support from friends, uh, you know, or maybe, you know, moving back in with your parents, I don't know, whatever it takes, you got to figure it out in your situation that the, so the initial funding for businesses um I generally think the friends and family is quite a bad idea. That's just my personal opinion. I think that you've already got a family relationship and then, you know, you borrow money of someone or it's just, I think it's sort of a bit of a recipe for disaster. Um, mm. But I know it's quite common in the U S for example, um, you are, you are not going to easily be able to raise money for your business. Without a track record, without traction, right? So you have to get that first. Like, that's the f- whatever it is, you've got to prove. And this is the funny thing a lot of founders are like, oh, I can't raise money. Oh, no one's going to give me money. But the founders are going to be investing their own time for years, right? So all we really have as humans is time. So they should also want to get traction to make sure that this is a worthwhile thing to invest their own time into. So it it, it works both ways. Like you, you want to be sure that you're going to say, Hey, I'm going to dedicate two years of my life or whatever it's going to take to this business. You want to be pretty damn sure. You want to have done had some traction beforehand that this is something that's going to be worthwhile. Um, And so if you have traction, you can raise money. I think that that works, that works together. So you, you, the first step is getting that traction, whatever your business is.
0: At the six month mark for you, if you hadn't have seen the growth that you did, would you have been able to pull up stumps or walk away from it?
1: Um, I mean, I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm a pretty determined person. So I, I like to think I would, but I'm also, I'm, you know, other sort of important skill that all founders need is perseverance. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, but this, at the same time, you hear a lot of founders who have probably persevered for too long and the writing was on the wall and just wasn't working and they just can't see it. So it's a, it's a balance, you, you know, um, I think, I think so. I think the other thing is, it's just a common term in startup land is something called a pivot where you might say, Hey, look, this first thing didn't work. Um, but we've learned this on our journey. And so this is a better opportunity. And there's heaps of businesses that are extremely successful, for example, mm. Slack, um, you know, Stuart Butterfield, they, they were building some kind of game and, Whilst they were building the game, they were talking, I believe, on IRC, and they they built, you know. So that was a classic, totally different direction. So mm. that was probably what we would have done: is, is sort of thought, hey, what else have we learned and spotted as an opportunity? And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Like that's a good thing.
0: Mm. Absolutely, it is. So bring us up to now, Al. Um, like I'm, I've, you know, been around you long enough now to know kind of what the business does and how good it is. Can you give us some high level facts about the business and I guess how your day has changed from years ago to now? Like what do you, what's your average day look like and what role mm. do you fill in the business?
1: Yeah, it's, it's changed a lot. I'm not allowed to program anymore.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> which are, you is allowed, good. are you off the team, no, I'm not a
1: good, it? I was, I'm not a good programmer dude. I can program to make things like work, but behind it is like a, I don't know if you've ever seen that meme where there's like a nice facade and behind the facade there's like stuff holding it up that's my programming um but luckily i don't do that anymore um although i do enjoy programming but yeah i'm banned from doing that um yeah now my role how it's changed so originally i, I was very hands-on right so yeah a lot of writing, a lot of the original code um you know obviously um hiring raising money um Everything. doing doing a lot yeah doing all of the growth work um like the first one of the first kind of like growth bots we wrote i wrote in excel bizarrely you know because it was just so easy um but now the way my day looks is i'm mostly just communicating and with people with the team um and just um yeah spending a lot of time i guess just talking so it's it's, it's um it's funny because i have two days a week which i have and you're on one of them now which is uh, so that's why that's why we can get this time which which is like no meeting days so it's just time to myself but the other days i'm just um yeah just just talking with the rest of the team with the rest mm. of team leads and working on i still mostly work on the product and and help the product teams out with them mm. um, yeah. and then hi- hiring still takes a lot of time so you know every time we hire someone I'm, I'm especially towards the end quite involved in that
0: i feel um humbled that you've given me this time mate um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I like this stuff it's fun so you know it's yeah fun. totally
0: um so you try and separate your days so you why do you what do you do so on your days off you just chat with the team and, and kind of get amongst it and answer questions and strategize and that I'm guessing
1: well those are on the days on <laughs> oh right okay <laughs> yeah the days off will be if there's something I need to you know think a bit more deeply about or uh, often there might be um, work that needs, that I might review or, you know, um, like, uh, yeah, something where I might want to go in, go in slightly deeper on. Um, often sometimes we'll have a, a longer session. So sometimes like, I, I, believe in problems that are hard to solve. You do need to spend a lot of time really thinking about them. And so that's a great opportunity to, you know, you're not, if you have like a sort of, Oh, let's have a half an hour meeting to fi- figure this out. You're not going to figure it out. You know, you need, um, unlimited, you know, sort of time where you're not, Oh, we're not running out of time. You just need to just need to spend time. So, um, mm. but that's a part of the the job that I love. Like um, I love working with people. That's, I think something that is important that um, mm. you're still, you know, I'm still, I'm still working, but it's, it's work that I love, but that's probably the same with you. I think that's one of the reasons that most people do want to start their own business. And even if the business isn't sort of like wildly successful, I don't think it matters because what you gain is freedom and being able to work on something that you love rather than something that you hate.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of utility in running your own business, which is why I think we have so many small businesses in Australia and indeed the world. Mm. Um, So just some, are you able to offer us any high level stats about simply wall street today to give people a sense of the scale?
1: Um, yeah sure um, steps <laughs> uh, so we have I think have like two point three 2 point four million uh, users user would be someone who' like who creates an account um, we do over five million in annual recurring revenue so quite profitable um, we have a team of 26 which is growing a lot uh, we're gonna be about to hire hire a lot more people so keep an eye out on that um, We, one thing we did early on, which was definitely the right decision was we covered international markets uh, rather than just Australia. So our original markets Mm. that we covered were um, Australia, UK, and the US. Now we cover every market in the world. And I think, again, with software, that's, it sounds silly, but like that's such an obvious choice because the same software, it can be offered to everyone. And it's, I love, I love the idea of being able to help people who normally wouldn't be able to get help with investing and so many of the investing tools are just based on the us and then people like australia or new zealand or india or all these countries have to wait years to get to get to have it released in their country whereas we're doing the opposite it's, it's available everywhere so yeah so we cover every listed company in the world and we're available in every country in the world which is cool um yeah cool. any other stats before <laughs> <No, I, laughs> yeah i
0: just I, a reason why i asked that right is because I want to know how it makes you feel to know that I'm just going to use round figures over 2 million people have created an account on something that you created. How does that make you feel?
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why, why I do it. I mean, I think that's fundamentally the same feeling as building a computer game and having people play it back at school when I was 12. I think it's the same thing. So I think, you know, that's, what it's all about. And hopefully for those 2 million people or, or more, I'm um, ho- hopeful that we can help all of them with their investing. And that's what, you know, that was a problem that I had. And I believe that, um, that's what we can do. And with this huge amount more scope there, there's a lot more people to help. There's a lot more totally. people investing. So that's why it's so exciting about it. Did you
0: think like, like, I guess the math brain aside, like just calculating exponential growth or what have you, that aside, did you think that you would be where you are today with the business back when you started it, or did you was that kind of like wildest expectations, like best outcome, or where did that kind of sit? I guess where does it sit?
1: Yeah, it's, it, that's an interesting question, right? Because one of the things I did before I started was I spent a lot of time researching who else was out there and was anyone mm-hmm. else anywhere near doing what I was thinking of doing, or were that you know were that who were the competitors and as you know, there are big competitors in the space and they've been around for 20, 30 years and these Mm -hmm. companies are huge and they make a huge amount of money. But yet those are the products that I was using that were not helping me. So to me, it was straightforward because they already were these huge businesses with suboptimal products. And so if you just made a a good product that actually helped people, it seemed obvious that you could be as big as them, if not far bigger. Mm-hmm. so, um but that being said, yeah, I have you know obviously um when you first start we were we, like for example, we, we didn't charge money for the first uh year and a half for the product, right, because it was just too basic, and we hadn't even built a, a system to do that um i we were happy enough just to have that people would even pay for it, so it goes in stages, <laughs> you know um and um so you know, hitting our first a thousand subscribers was a big, big milestone for us, you know, and then you're thinking, Oh God, do you think we'll ever get to 10,000, you know, hundred thousand, et cetera. So, you know, it's cool because yeah, I think people, I think people's ambitions grow, um, you know, um, but uh, yeah, I, I think um, the, the fundamentals was always something that was clear to me. I don't think that's changed. And, um, I think we're, we're going at it. One thing I would say is that I think founders are extremely naive with like how long things will take. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he so was want- like yeah yeah three years that'd be fine easy like yeah. <laughs> six years later still haven't <laughs> yeah. done some of the really basic stuff that we, what we do but this is that's a common theme with every startup like if you look at um there's a really great uh blog from Melanie from Canva and she talks about lots of the things in her original pitch deck for Canva and they still haven't done it but yet they're in, you know one of Australia's best businesses so yeah
0: yeah yeah, it's one of those things. I feel like there's like there's this vast majority of people in between who know a little bit about founder life and starting a business. And they're like the vast majority. They don't do it. It's the people who either know everything there is to know about business or close to it, who are like experts in their field. For them, it makes sense to start a business. But then there's this other tale, and I think I'm in this other tale, where I kind of just – it was like me being naive that led me to – just pull the trigger and go and do it. And I think there's like, obviously that's just a generalization, but I think you kind of have to, in one hand, be a bit naive to the risks because otherwise maybe you wouldn't do it.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. Uh,
0: So I've got some like questions here, mate, that are more along the lines of specific, I guess, uh, specific areas of business that you could lend some insights to. And so the first one is kind of that, origination piece around starting a business specifically whether it's in Australia, New Zealand, it could apply globally, but specifically Australia and New Zealand. Um, Did you set up the business and I'm going to use air quotes here legitimately. Like, did you set it up as a company structure from the get go or was it kind of like, you know, just, let's discover an idea, build a product and then see what happens.
1: Um, Well, my advice there would would be focus on, well, what I would call product market fit, but I would just focus on finding something that, that people want focus mm-hmm. on a problem uh, The when you set the business up has like zero bearing, right? You can set the business up straight away it will make you feel nice and warm inside because you've made some progress and you've got a nice, you know, ABN, etc. cetera. But like, <laughs> it's not going to, it's not, you've got no closer to like actually solving anyone's problems. So I, I sort of generally would just wait as long as possible for that. Um, you know, and you can do most of things as a sole trader if you really want, you know, it's only, um, I think that being said, if you're going to put some of your own money into it, which you might need to or take other money, then yeah, of course you need to set it up. I mean, also setting up a business, you can just do it online for like things like $500 and basic shareholders agreements. So these things are not the, they're not the thing that should be concerned. If those are the things that are concerning you when you're starting, then then maybe that's a good time to think, Hey, what am I actually, (laughs) what am I doing this for? Like if you just want the word founder on your LinkedIn profile, just put it on there, you know, like, I think it's the, 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 you really got to focus on, on what you actually want to be solving.
0: It's that that product. You said product market fit, Uh, you know, maybe I'll let you explain that. But for me, it was like, let's just, we, we can see a need here. Let's just go out and solve that first. And yeah, we might make mistakes with that stuff later, but um, you know, I think there's an element of move fast and break things, but it's kind of just focus on the end user and make their experience better and better. So if, can you explain the concept of product market fit and then how your growth strategy from a marketing perspective fed into that?
1: Well, I mean, product market fit. Yeah. That's just a sort of uh, startup lingo. It, it simply is just meaning that that just solving problems for people. So any, it applies to any business um Hmm. you know you I think you mentioned um someone else you had on the podcast who started a cake shop but that's still solving a problem right Hmm. the problem is probably getting great cakes I imagine um and um so it's it's exactly the same thing so you got to really focus on that and the great thing is whatever you do you can usually boil that part down to be something really simple that again you can actually test or what would be known as validate before you pull the trigger and um rent an office, go get your business registered, get shareholders agreements, or that you can actually test this stuff first. That's the whole point. So that's really all, all I'm, all I'd be getting at there. Um, and I would even say you could probably wait as long as possible to really make sure that that's working. You know, if you were say doing a podcast, maybe you could do that on the side for a few months and, and, and build up those subscriber numbers and really make sure you've got it nailed and understanding what your niche is. And then you could, and then you could create, it's, 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 it's it's fairly straightforward. I think, um, yeah, that there's a book called The Lean Startup by Eric Ries, who effectively explains the, the basics of this.
0: Cool. I'll put it in the show notes. How about <laughs> when it comes to marketing, mate? Um, like, you, obviously, you don't need to lift the lid too much, but maybe just how, <laughs> like, I think for you, right, I think I know what you're going to say. Um, like, obviously, you're selling a, a, a product online, um, a service for people, so it makes sense to use a digital medium. Um, is there anything I guess you'd want to
1: add on that? Well, I think this interesting thing with marketing, um, it's, it really depends on your business, right? There's some, there's some businesses, um, where paid marketing will make sense. There's some businesses where organic will make sense. There's some businesses where it's purely a word of mouth, you know? So you hopefully before you start, one of the things you should really be doing is thinking, who else is successful here and how are they doing it and what channels are working for them. And you should try to understand the basic concept of not necessarily just marketing, but what I would call growth in general, growing your business. Um, so if it's a podcast or say a YouTube channel, you'd want to understand, well, Hey, who, who else is doing really well? And what are the, what is it that they're doing? And the thing is nowadays, this is so heavily written about online. There's effectively playbooks for like every different vertical that you might want to go into. Now, yeah, to your point, in our space, we're on the web, um, and and it's a consumer-facing business. Um, we don't do marketing in the traditional sense, so people discover us what's called organically, right? And so, a big channel for us, for example, would be SEO. Now, an S- SEO is not a channel that you can switch on and switch off. Mm. If you want to do that, you just have to buy the ads. That's like the short, the short sort of short-term way of doing it. Um, so, one thing to consider when you start your business is what I would do. I would list every possible channel that you can think of to grow your business. And then I would rank them in terms of how quickly you think you can do it, uh, how confident you think it is, um, and uh, and how much impact it will have. And so one of the things that we did when we first launched Simply Wall Street is um, Nick and I went to our inboxes. We downloaded every contact and we sent an email out to them. <laughs> sounds pretty simple, but they, I think the total number was like almost 3000 people. Right. So yeah, cool. Then we got 3000 people onto the product. Okay. Not 3000. We probably got about 400 because of the click rate, but, but if someone gets a personal email from a friend, yeah, they're probably going to open it, you know? Um, so that was a simple one. You can't repeat that. I can't email them again in in two weeks time, but why would I not do it initially to, 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 it's like a low risk thing. Um, one final thing I'll add is I'm generally, not a fan of of pr for businesses um i don't think there's anything wrong with it when you get started but the thing with pr people don't appreciate is it's not repeatable and i think you need to understand this concept of repeatable channels ones that it's not a once-off thing pr is almost impossible to repeat unless you have some kind of unique special data source that you can keep using to, to talk to the media about so you know and i think the other thing about pr is a lot of founders have quite high requirement for significance and so they like pr because people can see them as a founder Mm. and so um so they get quite obsessed with being mentioned in the media um and and it's generally not a great channel so you know it's it's it's, there's probably not the best use of time what i would say
0: Mm. yeah i I think that point you make about something being repeatable is so important because at the end of the day right every every single business in the world has a customer acquisition cost, a cost to acquire a new customer. And then if you get a bit more fancy with your maths and depending on the industry, you could probably do lifetime values of each individual customer that walks through the door. But marketing is all about getting that customer acquisition cost as low as possible. And typically the only way I've found to do that is to have insights and to have a channel that can be exploited so that, you know, even if it's like uh, down the street, you get your favorite cafe, you want it to be in a spot where you get the most traffic, right? And then you can test out things. So That's really interesting. Now, one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about, and I know it's super important to you right now, and we're talking about it off air, is building a team and I guess just the general insights you have, and then maybe we'll drill into a couple of them, but early on in the piece, um, I know like you said you started with the team. What was important to you early on? And how did you go about finding a team?
1: I mean, yeah, that's a huge topic. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, (laughs) Yeah. uh, That's, that's a good topic. Did Uh, you have
0: to convince anyone to join you?
1: Yeah. uh, Yes. Yeah. Yes, you do. You do. Um, Yeah. So I guess that's a good place to start. Right. Initially, as the founder of a business, people don't appreciate it, but you're, you're, from the start, having to sell your business in a sense, right? Because if I'm going to go and find someone to be a co-founder, unless they're already a great friend of mine, or even if they are a great friend of mine, I'm effectively selling them on on the business. And I'm saying, Hey, this is a great idea. Come work with me. You know, uh, you won't get paid for two years, but you know, it might be really successful one day. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and the selling is, is, is the idea, but you're also selling, working with you, you're selling yourself. So it's really, it's, you're basically selling yourself and that then also applies to your early team, right? Usually as in a, in, a, in a business, small business or startup, you're heavily resource constrained, right? So sure. The, the kind of headline that everyone knows is, yeah, you've got to build the best team. You've got to build the best team. How am I going to build the best team? If I can only pay people like a tiny amount, Um, so, Mm -hmm. so you, you, you're resource constrained. So you can't always get these incredible people. Now, maybe if you've got a great track record or you're incredibly good salesperson, maybe you, you are lucky enough to, to persuade people to come join you. Um, but yeah, you're, you're really initially a salesperson. You need to convince people to come on your journey as you build your track record that can start to change and people come to you and they say, Oh, I'd love to work for you. I love what you guys are doing. Um, but yeah, initially you sort of, you have to try and sell yourself to persuade people to join you. And you kind of, I believe you really have to look for the misfits. You have to look for people who probably, you know, there's some reason why um, they might come and work for you or maybe that they weren't suited. Um, Like our second programmer that we hired um, a fellow called Feng Fu, he, he, his English was not great. I mean, So that was why he was struggling to find a job, but guess what, he could learn English with us. It wasn't, you know, we could teach him English and he can help us. So, you know, um, and so for that reason that he was at that point in time probably made sense, right? We couldn't pay a huge amount because we didn't have a huge amount of money. So, um, so you have to make those hard decisions. And, and that's, that's one of the difficult things when you read all this advice of building your team It is is people saying like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta do all this, but you know, you're resource constrained. It's really, really hard. Um, I do think though it's really important, depending on the business, I generally think it's best to have a business partner. I don't know about yourself, Owen, if there's anyone else you work with, but if you don't have a business partner or someone else, you at least need someone to share the role of the business partner. And that would be um, someone to talk to when you have problems, someone to bounce ideas off, someone to help you make decisions. Even though there's a lot of successful businesses that appear to have single founders usually they were not single founders and usually they had people next to them playing those roles i think most people work better um with someone else
0: Mm. so me uh for me that's my wife
1: (laughs) well that's that's awesome yeah yeah exactly so yeah Yeah.
0: so yeah she was the sugar mama and the uh business partner if you like so she funded the dream and provided oversight which i think is so important right um yeah so the early days then, what about, what about now? If you're, I imagine you're at that point where, it's funny how the world works, but imagine you're at that point now where people want to work for you. Like they come, you probably get people coming to you saying, I want to work for you um, because of what you've created. How do you now go about finding people? Is it a simple seek ad? Or, I know you've got your website. Um, how, do you, how do you find people? How do you find good people?
1: yeah um well this is crazy because only a few months ago did we actually have someone come in and now actually help us to to do what we call talent acquisition before it was us doing it Mm. so you know it's a huge just not distraction but it's a huge it it takes a lot of time to find great people so um yeah yeah, so it's like hey we need to build this thing oh but we also need to hire people oh well we can't do both so um Mm. yeah I, i i think one thing that it's really important to say that at the end of the day it's it's only by hiring great people that you have a great business um and and have a great team now it's nothing wrong with having a small business if it's just you that's totally fine as well you're you're the great person you know what i mean so um <laughs> it's always about people um uh i think once you're in that position where you can the people are i guess coming to you and yeah we're, we're quite lucky you know i guess also because we're consumer facing we have like quite a wide reach. So you do get a lot of people who do email in saying, Oh, I really want to work for you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, the way we do it now is we actually have quite a, um, I guess you could say thorough process to, to, to actually be hired. And um, people have to do these take home challenges, uh, which can take anything from a day to a week, if, depending how, how um, much time you want to spend for it, then they come in, then we sit down with them um, because it's a really, really big decision. To hire someone, you know, at any size. So you really want to make sure, ideally, that you that you've got the right person and they're going to be a good fit for you. So um, I think just being really thorough, and um, I think really focusing on it's not so much about skills. You know, the the right people should be learners and they can learn. It's more about the the, the values and um, and and how and how that you can see yourself working with those people. So, um, yeah, the hiring's fun, you know, you get um, meet new people new people like that's, that's what changes your business. So that's, that's also a lot of fun. Sounds like the first part
0: of that kind of hiring process for you now then is dare I say it, more of like a technical thing. Like do you have the skills kind of understanding people? And then the second or third or fourth stages might be more the values. Would that be fair? <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what we do now for most roles, um, we try to assess the base skills as early as possible so that basically we don't want to waste their time or ours. So for example, when we're hiring programmers, we would often get them to apply via an API, which effectively like mm. filters out really bad programmers. Um, if for example, you're applying for an equity analyst position, we'll ask you some simple questions. Um, like challenges. And if you get those wrong, then we know that, you know, probably need to um, go back and do a bit more studying. So just simple stuff like that, that you can kind of um, you can, you can filter out early. Um, Yeah. I think going back to, I would say that, like I said, the earlier on, and even now you should still be expecting to have to sell. Right. So that guess what? The best people are probably already working somewhere, (laughs) you know, so you probably are going to need to sell. You really are going to have to go out there. And so you really got to think of how you're going to do that. Um, it's kind of a bit like dating, I guess. You really got to think, how can you make yourself stand out? What's special about you? What can you offer this person that's going to make them say, wow, this is actually a great opportunity for me. Mm. Um, most people are not money driven. Most mm. people are driven by other things. And so you got to understand people's drivers, what's really important to them. Um, and uh, so, yeah, certainly when you, when you first start out, you are going to be you know, reaching out to a lot of people, I think, to try and persuade them. Um, and having a good network is powerful as well. I think it's, um, it's slightly underestimated that if you know you're going to start a business, you can at least start building a network in that business before you start it so that you're not a total stranger. You know? mm.
0: Totally. Yeah, great. Uh, it's a great idea and great insight. Um, I guess there's one more topic area here before I just get to some evergreen questions on the end, mate. Um, the, the most important thing, I guess, for any business and for any founder or business starter is to have the founder and business starter hanging around in the first place. So what for you keeps you motivated? Like is it uh working with great people? Is it seeing that the the growth? Like what is it each day that kind of just keeps you getting up and going to work?
1: Um, I mean I, I guess I have a lot of variety, whether it's you know, fires <laughs> or new exciting things or probably you know so there's always there's always ups and downs and things that are going on um so yeah I, at the end of the day though I, I love working with yeah great people and um and i love solving these challenging problems that's what really gets me out of bed is um you know i don't think anyone's like i said no one's really figured out how to really help retail investors yet and that's what we want to do so um, I think that's what really what excites me is trying to solve these, these hard problems and, and see if we can actually come up with a, with a way of doing that. And at the same time, working with great people doing it. Mm.
0: You said uh, before we spoke that you don't think you're the best manager. So you, <laughs> yeah. So You said that you, maybe you're not the right, like you're not, you just don't have those skills necessarily or, or what it might be. If you, in spite of that, because I feel like that may be a sense that you're being humble. So that maybe makes you a good manager in that regard. Um, what, if any advice would you have for people as they transition to becoming a manager and kind of remove themselves from the tools, what advice would you have for people there? Is there anything in particular?
1: Um, I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, first of all, you do not have to be good at everything. It's very unlikely that you are, you know, um, Mm. Often, the people that might be great managers might not be the best founders, for example you know um some people believe that you're either a manager or a leader it's hard to be both you know there's there's um different mm. opinions there. I think the first thing is just being aware of where your skills are and and where they're not right because as your business grows if if you are aware that you're not the greatest manager then either you can work on it you know it's something that you can you can learn obviously some people are much more natural at it than others um but you can still learn to be better and you learn to spot the mistakes that you've made um and you or you can get people to help you it's the same as if you're starting a technology business and you're not a programmer you're probably going to need a programmer you know so <laughs> it's like a, you know don't the whole point of when you build a team is you want to be ba- balanced in terms of what your um the different skill sets so i think awareness is really is really key there um and uh and probably start learning about these things maybe a bit sooner than you think um that being said i really like i think i, I said earlier like the initial thing you got to focus on is just making sure you're solving a problem for people mm. right you know like i said you could be the best manager in the world but if your business isn't solving a problem then it's all very nice but you need to solve the problem first So i think that's you need to make sure you start to get on 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 that sort of road um and then you know uh then you can start working on your management skills which is always a lot of fun mm.
0: yeah um i think it's uh, great advice mate um i feel like uh there's a lot of good takeaways from this conversation I feel like we've only scratched the surface on a lot of them um if I could summarize that last answer for you there uh, in my words it would be that it's okay to hire people that are really good at things and even better than you are I think something that I feel like that's something that I kind of was worried about is like not being not knowing everything and not knowing everything that goes on inside the business you kind of need to hire people that are exceptional to get the best results and sometimes because they're exceptional they're better than you are in certain respects um, what is it now if, 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 if you're looking just at the business today, is the thing that you're the most, you're the most proud of is just helping people and being able to help so many? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, we're definitely happy with that, but I, I say, um, because I'm like, oh, well, we could be doing an even better job. You know, like I, I still know it can be better so and I'm still, I'm like, yeah, I think we've made progress. I think just, I I just know there's things I want to do even better there. It's probably something that will never stop, if that makes sense. You know, Um, I I, I am proud of, I guess, the progress we've made. It it probably took us longer than we expect. But I like I said, I think every founder, business owner experiences that. Um, And I also think that there's not many other businesses out there that genuinely are helping people. I think that's that's something that I'm really proud of that you know that's still the way that we try to build our products We're not trying to oh how can we make money out of these confused retail investors We're trying to say how can we actually help people and that's similar to your to your business as well I know so mm-hmm. uh, so um yeah and I think also um, the the team that we've hired here you know, it, it's, it, it's incredible. And that's something that I'm, I'm really proud of as well. It's taken us so a long time to figure out how to, you know, how to hire great people and um, how to get them to to work together in the best environment. But that's something that, that really makes me happy. And, um, and there's a lot more of that to come. So that's going to be super exciting.
0: Yeah. My last question was, what are you most excited about? And I feel like, did you just answer it? <laughs>
1: uh, what am I most excited about? Um, having a, I guess empowering retail investors really like, you know, really, I really think that um, with the, the, this interesting thing, right. Think about like this. Um, If, if I'm a billionaire, right. Or if I'm, I don't know, living in a slum in Brazil, um, both those people still use Gmail, both those people still use WhatsApp. Right. So technology is amazing like that because it's, totally democratized you know I'm, I'm not having some special billionaires email system or special billionaires chat system and i really believe it can be the same with investing that you actually have exactly the same tools even more powerful tools and that there's no disadvantage if anything there could be an advantage because you can be super nimble you don't have to answer to your you know the LPs in your fund and, and all this, and all this thing. So I I think this, I'm really excited about changing investing in that regard to actually really empower individuals um, and make them successful investors. And I think it's, it's totally possible. I just think no one's really cracked it yet. And that's, that's what we're going to do.
0: Mate, that is super exciting. And I can't wait to watch on from the outside. (laughs) Thank you for um, just taking the time out and sharing some of your insights with us, mate. Really appreciate it.
1: Oh, well, thanks a lot. A lot of fun.